I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, Susan E. Casey is on the show. Susan is an MSW, MFA, writer, licensed mental health clinician, certified bereavement group facilitator, and certified life coach. Throughout the past 25 years, Susan has worked in hospice, inpatient, and home-based settings with teens and adults, and taught numerous courses to executive leaders and clinicians. Currently, Susan works for a health measurement-based care organization, provided clinical coaching for therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists to improve mental health outcomes for youth and adults. Susan's blog, Susan Casey, SusanEcasey.com, chronicles her grieving process following the death of her younger brother. Her fiction has won numerous awards, including first place in the Penn Knob Hill Literary Contest and Green Writers National Literary Contest. Rock On, Mining for Joy in the Deep River of Sibling Grief is her first of nonfiction. That is what we're here to talk about today. So welcome, Susan. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. And interestingly, we're recording the week of Kobe Bryant's memorial. And I actually read an article right kind of before you and I were going to, not today, but before we were going to get talking about this, about sibling grief as it relates to her I guess Gigi's oldest daughter. So it's so, I, Natalia, I think was her name. It's so apropos, I think, that we're kind of talking about this and bringing this to the forefront right now. Because when we have a public figure where we can really kind of illuminate it, it seems to help people. So let's talk about what this forgotten grief is, sibling grief. Well, yeah. And, and before I leap into that question, just on the Kobe Bryant front, um, I'm not sure what article you saw, but I was a contributing writer to uh, the hope, hope.com. And I, in the article, there was an article that speaks directly to this minimizing um, that sibling grief is minimized and kind of brought to the forefront, which is my, you know, which is my goal and my passion is to raise awareness around sibling grief. And I think partly, I mean, there are two pieces to this. If you're an older sibling like myself who has lost a brother and he was old enough to have a daughter and a wife that the sibling there's many things that we need to take care of for me he died over in Hong Kong my older brother and I flew over there um, and we were there for three weeks flew home had to write his tribute had to plan his memorial had to be strong for my parents and of course over in Hong Kong my older brother and I had to be strong for my niece and my sister-in-law and so I think for older siblings we <clears throat> You know, we have to be, quote unquote, strong for everyone. And I think siblings often feel that their grief is minimized. But even more than that, that there's no space for us to grieve. And I write in the book, when will it be my turn? And really, I don't think it matters if you have a really super tight bond with your sibling or if you're estranged. Siblings really help to form who we become. I mean, there is no one closer, right? It's your, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you, you grow up together. There's nobody who knows for you. For better, like, for worse, better, right? Yeah. And there's no mm-hmm. one who knows you better. And 
So for me, I'm the only daughter. I've got four brothers, three surviving. I'm right in the middle. And um, we come from a large Italian Catholic family and we're very, very tight. So losing Rocky was one of the most devastating things that has ever happened to me and certainly to our family. I interviewed 27 people all over the world for this for my book that was released on the sixth anniversary of Rocky's death, which was on Valentine's Day of this year. And that was a very common theme of just this sense of having to be strong. Now let's talk about younger kids. That's even more complex. It sounds to me like like there's almost two types, right? There's an adult sibling grief, which my mom also experienced. She lost her sister when you know my mom was 45. Mm-hmm. But then there's the the grief of if you're young and you lose a sibling. It's almost like two separate exper- like completely separate experiences, I would imagine. Right. And so while I was writing this book, I was reading books on um, on parental grief just to give me an idea of what my parents were going through. But for the younger kids, and I did, I did interview a couple of um, young people. And I think that's a more complex because of a couple of reasons. One, the parents are so deeply bereft that it is very difficult for them to show up for their kids, um, obviously. You know, they, they certainly try. Um, and I think that sometimes, you know, I've heard a couple of different stories where the parents didn't talk about the child that died because they were trying to protect their surviving children. I've heard stories where they just felt like they were just forgotten about because their parents were in such deep pain. So, and, and, and for the siblings, right, they're still young. They're trying to figure the world out. They, you know, they're in the midst of their brain development and don't know what to do with their grief because kids grieve very differently than adults. I ran uh, bereavement groups at the Center for Grieving Children for years. And they're, I mean, not that adults, it's a linear process, but I think we're much more overt in terms of the way we express our grief. And I think for kids, it looks very, very different. It can come out in behavioral issues. It can come out in spurts. They can become despondent. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just a matter of knowing really of, of these siblings. And I say this to the older siblings and the younger ones, that the most important thing is that they have some support. Um, outside of, you know, their nuclear family. Because it's not, it sounds like particularly with younger kids, there's the, there's the loss of the sibling, but in some ways there's the loss of the parent, right? And the loss of the family. Right. System. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it's like multiple. And I think with any grief, you know, when I've worked with people who have lost loved ones, it's, it's not dissimilar from that, right? Every, there's a loss there's multiple losses occurring simultaneously because everything you knew shifted. Exactly. And I love that word because that's what I say, you know, that in that moment when there is a death, it changes everything in that one second. Life as you knew it is over. And then the journey becomes of rebuilding your life and what that looks like, you know, in the aftermath. So why do you think sibling death doesn't get a lot of I mean, a lot of recognition. Like it sounds to me in so many ways that it, because of our relationships with our siblings, it should be at the forefront, right? It's always if a parent loses a child, that's devastating. If a uh, spouse, a partner loses a partner, that's devastating. But this notion of you losing oftentimes your best friend, your, you know, longest confidant, the person who holds your memories, your secrets, everything. Yeah. 
there's this beautiful quote. There's this very beautiful quote that when a sibling dies, the parents lose the past, the spouse loses the future, and the sibling loses both. Mm. And for me, when you ask me why do I think it's so minimized, I think it goes back to what I said, where as soon as it happens, it's amazing to me how many people will come up to you and say, you need to be strong. You need to be strong for your parents. You got to be strong, you know, going out to Asia. You got to be strong for your sister-in-law. And it's like, well, you know what? Who's going to be strong for me? And I'll never forget this. I did so many beautiful interviews, but there was this one interview where um, I interviewed Emily and her brother died. They were very best friends. He died while running. He was a, you know, he was a marathon runner. And the very first thing her best friend said to her is you've got to be strong for Amy. And Amy was um, her sister-in-law. And as soon as that happens, hmm. there's something that happens for us as surviving um, this tragedy that it's almost like we have to go into in, into like a secret hiding place that, to have our grief moment. And, and it's a misnomer. I mean, one of the things, one of the biggest themes out of the book that I heard over and over was that a sibling that the surviving sibling did not feel like they could talk to their parents about their brother or sister. Why? Because they felt as soon as they did, the parents are going to start crying and that they're causing more pain. And what I would, what I learned at the Center for Grieving Children and what I've learned in my own experience is the opposite is true. Parents want to talk about their child. And so this whole thing happens within a family. Parents don't want to cause the, you know, their children more pain. Children don't want to cause their parents more pain. So everyone sort of suffers in silence. So what I say is please open up. No one's going to cause anyone any more pain than they're already feeling because it's not as if they've forgotten that, you know, they lost a sibling or the parent lost a child. Um, But I think that silence in families can be very insidious and very painful because it's that it is the truly white elephant in the room. So please talk about your loss, talk about your sibling, because it gives us the freedom to, to know that we can, we can carry their spirit with us and they're not going to be forgotten. And it's not this weird thing that happens within a family where it's taboo to talk about this person that you've loved and lost. Did you find anything in your research around miscarriages, like sibling loss, if there was like a miscarriage and how that gets handled? or is That's a very interesting question because I don't know if you're familiar with Cheryl Strayed and Steve Allman. Cheryl Strayed wrote the book Wild, among many other things. And mm-hmm. she and Steve Allman had um, a podcast called Dear Sugars. They had a two-part series called the empty, yeah. and they had a two-part series called the empty chair around exactly what you're talking about, where a sibling is born and they had already lost a sibling and were not aware of it, and how that impacted their life, like this ghost in the family. So you know, then I then I um, I was interviewed by another radio station and the woman, Mary, it was the Mary Beth Conley show, and she had lost a brother when she was eight, and her parents stopped talking about her brother. So that when she got decades later, when she was getting married and doing the family tree, she left her brother out. And all of a sudden she had this meltdown and realized that she had all this delayed grief because nobody talked about this brother. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, you and I are both therapists, right? Mm-hmm. We're probably believers in the notion of talking about right. things. Right. 
And I think that's, it sounds like that, that's so much of the message here is that when we don't, when we don't talk about it, when we don't speak it, when we don't speak the name, we're not healing. That's right. We're, we're holding, what we're doing really is we become, I think, this is my language, we became holding tanks for our grief. And as you know, I mean, you're a therapist, you can't run away from grief. It will manifest in some way. And if we don't, and yep, if, it always does, right? It, it, even in illness, you know, um, or what I call getting stuck in anger. You know, I interviewed a few siblings that said they don't want to talk to their parents about their sibling because they're still so angry about it. Or people carry guilt. I mean, I mean, that's my other huge message. You've got to know when you need help. There is no shame in that. You know, for me, I saw a grief therapist for a year. I needed help. Mm-hmm. And, and, and whether you go to a bereavement group, I mean, whatever it is, because I think also there's another um, erroneous belief out there that grief has some sort of expiration date. I always call it the two week mark. Right. Everyone moves on after two weeks. They, you know, they descend on your life with food and cards and condolences, and then people have to get on with their life. And so I think often what contributes to that whole shutting down is also feeling like, my friends are sick of hearing about this, you know, which may or may not be true. I think it really depends on your support system, but that is another reason, you know, find yourself a great grief group or or go to a therapist or a priest or whoever, whoever you have in your world that provides support where you feel like you can really sit and you can cry and somebody is holding that space because no one can take away that pain. Well, right. And I also, I, I also feel like people get so stuck. Right. What I always say is it's like arrested development. So kind of whatever age you were that that experience happened, if you don't process it, you will forever be, not forever, until you process it, you kind of get stuck in that space. Amen. Very true. Yes, indeed. And that's why when I watch the miracles that happen at the Center for Grieving Children, which which is a little misleading because... Um, the groups are for kids as young as three and for adults, as, you know, as old as 103. I mean, it's for all ages and they're put into age appropriate, you know, groups. But I have families that have been at the Center for Grieving Children for five years. I mean, just to give you some idea mm-hmm. of the kind of work that happens uh, in these groups and, and the process that it takes to find that new normal. So I want to ask you some of the questions that you ask in your book to others, which is how did, how did the death of your brother shift and change the course of your life? I would say pretty much in every way. I um, had been the international communications director for this uh, huge international behavioral health organization of 14 years and I quit. That was a terrifying move, but I couldn't do it. I took a three month leave of absence and I came back and my heart was just simply wasn't in it anymore. And, you know, I had been a fit. And do you have a sense for why that was? Yeah, because I think here I've been in this field for 25 years, worked with all these families around trauma and loss, worked with kids in juvie. But, you know, when my brother died, I had never known that kind of pain. I had never known that kind of darkness. And I had never known that kind of sheer terror that I would never feel joy again. And so showing up to work to this to this job no longer held meaning for me. And, but I should, the caveat to that is prior to my brother's death, I, I also knew that I didn't really want to be there anymore, but it was kind of that golden handcuff, great salary, you know, flexible, et cetera. But after he died, I was like, you know what? I can't just 
I can't just show up and not feel a deeper sense of purpose, given that my brother was 43, year, 43 years old when he died. And so I left. And I was very fortunate that I could be able to. I know that is not the case for everyone, but I was fortunate I could. I could take some time off, and that's when I and that's when I I started with the blog, and then um, and then I started writing the book. And along those lines, I was a fiction writer prior to his death, and now and now writing, you know, after writing this book, it is this nonfiction realm where I really want to be able to to touch people in a different way, and I'm hoping to give them some measure of hope. So I left my job, I wrote the book. I got my certification to be a bereavement uh, bereavement group facilitator, and I just can't look at life the same way anymore. Um, I don't get upset about things I used to get upset about. I I've always been compassionate, but I this has deepened my compassion for the human experience in ways I can't even articulate. And I take and I'm more present. I'm more present with the people in my life, and I have a deeper understanding that it are it is the tiny moments that we string together that give life meaning, that bring us joy. It's not the big life events. It's the small. I call them little the little bubbles of magic that happen in our life that I think sometimes we can take for granted. I don't I don't take anything for granted anymore. I certainly don't take the people in my life for granted. Well, and, and I think a big takeaway is that, and why I do this podcast, is you don't have to wait for that moment to happen exactly. to have the experiences that you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can obviously, maybe you haven't experienced such a depth of pain like you have, but that doesn't mean you can't, experience deep joy right just knowing that and inevitably it's likely that at some point any of us all of us will experience that type of thing well it's just it's just unavoidable as being it's human. unavoidable but i'll tell you something very interesting i've had two people reach out to me after reading the book neither of them have had a loss like, they, you know, they, I mean, I think one lost a mom that was in her 90s. The other one, you know, hasn't experienced um, a deep loss. And both of them, two different people, <laughs> just totally random, have said because of reading the book, they're going to live their life more on purpose. And that's, and, mm-hmm. and that's the way it moved them. Uh, you know, even though I believe in reincarnation and all of that, our lives are short, you know, this go around. And yeah, live your life on purpose. Do what you know, do what you want to do. Did you have any, so we're going to get a little bit into the spiritual realm here, because in reading your book, it almost seemed like you, part of you, maybe, maybe I'm just projecting this, but part of you may have had a sense that, that, that the moment of his death was coming for a long time. Well, just in how he kind of lived his life. Lived his life and I'm deeply intuitive and I was constantly worried about him. And it's funny that you bring this up. Yeah, it sounded like you always were al- worried. always kind of holding your breath. Yep, I was yeah. always holding my breath. That's exactly right. And and I've always believed in the afterlife. You know, I mean, I've gone to mediums. You know, I lost my father when I was 10 months old. And then my dad, my dad now, he's been my dad since I was two. Um, but I've gone to mediums. I've always believed in reincarnation and the afterlife. Read many, many books. And even though I understood that, and I write about this, that even if we have that deep belief, 
we still are living on this physical material planet where we know we are not going to get that physical hug again, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I've had, I I think you're going to get into this about the signs that I've received from my brother, but that has probably been the most joyful part um, because not only do I, I'm not that, oh, it's a coincidence. There were just too many things that happened where I just know he walks with me and my mom passed in March and I just feel like they're with me. Um, I just feel like they're always with me. What would you say that you had a premonition about this or or just sort of a felt sense that he might not be with? It was a doom. Yeah, it was, it was a doom feeling like, I, I, I just, I can't, it's so hard to put words to, because like I said, I'm intuitive and I felt like he was not going to grow into an old man. Mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. I felt. Well, and it's so, it was so evident to me in the book reading it, you know, I felt like, okay, when's it going to, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the book's about sibling grief, so you know, but it just seemed right. like how he lived his life sort of was, was headed mm-hmm. in that direction of, of a young, a young death. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, he was, he was this fearless, charismatic, bigger than life personality. He had no fear. You know, he up and moved to Bali, um, you know, when he was deeply flawed, like all of us are. And, and so he, um, he ended up leaving his wife who was four and a half months pregnant at the Mm -hmm. time. And a lot of, a lot of people judged him very deeply and he was, he was very, very sensitive. So we ended up moving over to uh, Bali, Indonesia and became the spa director for four seasons. And so now I've got a brother that's thousands of miles away. We could Skype and, you know, and do all of those things. But, you know, there was a lot of judgment around him. And I think that for my brother, what pains me so deeply is that he wasn't able to forgive himself for some of those decisions and could not see the light being that he was. Mm. Um, and he was loved. He was just loved so deeply. And he was such a good soul and very powerful. You know? So how has he come through since his death? And do you feel oh my like gosh. he has resolved that or come to understand sort of that part of himself that he was loved and that he knew he was loved and that he was good, even though he maybe made some bad choices? Yeah. Yes, I do. And and like I said, I've been to several mediums since his passing, which, uh, as I said, was six years on February 14th. But let me tell you a couple of the most powerful. I, I've written them all down. There's too many to talk about on this podcast, but I'll tell you the two, the two biggies. Several things happened over in Hong Kong where I felt his presence. It was palpable. But when I returned, my younger brother and I, my youngest brother, who was also my best friend, we were cleaning out my parents' basement because we were moving them out of their home of 42 years to get them into elderly housing. And my mother upstairs in the dining room, she's got a picture of me and my four brothers. Our senior pictures are, you know, all lined up on the top of the hutch. And Kevin and I were downstairs in the basement. We were talking about Rocky. We were crying. We were, we were just in an awful state. And all of a sudden we hear this crash and we run upstairs and my brother's pitcher had flown off the top of the hutch, smashed on the ground. It was all glass, but the pitcher was completely intact. And he and I looked mm-hmm. at each other 
I get, I get chills still now talking about it because my brother is like that non-believer. Mm-hmm. But when that happened, when that happened, he was, he just was stunned. And I said, do you see <laughs> he is here with us? And then the other wild thing that happened. And I, there are times when I was writing this book where I could almost feel his presence behind me. And I went into a medium and she said, your brother is writing a book with you. Mm. And I burst into tears because, because I knew he was, but I had this photograph of me and my four brothers, my favorite photograph of the five of us. And I have it on my little shelf. It's not framed. It's just like, you know, just, just a picture. And I cannot tell you the amount of times I would come into my office and that picture had fallen on my computer. Hmm. Uh, there's no wind in my office. It's not like my windows were open. And I just, I knew it was him. And I can tell you story after story after story like that, where there is no denying. I think he's very powerful in the spirit mm-hmm. world. And he's also very playful. You know, he'll do playful things. You know, he'll play with electricity. And one night I, ha- I was watching one of my favorite shows and the TV kept coming on and off, on and off. And I said, Rocky, I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for showing me you're here. But could you stop? Because I really want to watch this movie. <laughs> and, it, and it happened one more time and then it was gone. Uh-huh. I know. It's my favorite. My favorite are the signs yeah. because... He, he's and he's playful the way he does some things too. It um, sounds like it. Can I tell you one more? Of course, more? yeah. Do yeah. I can? So for my 50th birthday, me and my girlfriends all decided we were going to go to Mexico and just celebrate our 50th birthdays. I was writing the very last chapter of this book when I went on that trip. And he had these gorgeous dolphins. He, he, loved, he, he, was, he was physically beautiful, but he had these dolphins on his back. Uh, tattoos. And so we're sitting there on Chacona's beach and my friend's talking about the death of her dad. I'm talking about Rocky. I'm talking about the dolphins. And all of a sudden we see these two dolphins jump out of the ocean. And Karen said, we've never, cause they own a, they own a villa on Chacona's. And she said, we've never seen a dolphin because the water is too warm for them. And we're walking down the beach. We go into this um, restaurant on the beach and this little boy runs up to me. He starts dancing around me. He clings to my leg and my friends and I are like, what is going on? And the owner of the restaurant came up and said, that is so strange. I've never seen my nephew do that. I said, what's his name? He said, Brian. So my brother's birth name is Brian. Mm. I picked up this little boy. He hugged me. He gave me a kiss on the cheek and then he ran off. Mm-hmm. First of all, I've never heard of a Mexican boy with the name Brian. And second of all, I know that it was my brother coming through to hug and kiss me oh. because it was bizarre. Yeah. And and I yeah. think that signs can show up in so many ways, mm-hmm. right? It's not always the mm-hmm. picture of the butterfly or the coins or things we've talked about on right. the show. But <laughs> right. it can – I mean, I was – I was the other day in line at picking up lunch, you know, at a, at a little bakery. And the woman who was standing in the line, I looked down at her hands and they reminded me of my grandma's hands. And then I smelled her perfume and I felt like it was the same yeah. perfume that my grandma used to wear. And then the, I watched yep. the way she put the change in her purse and it, it just felt eerily similar 
and I was having a rough day and I just felt like it was her way of saying to me she was there. And so to your point, it's not the same. It's not, you know, it's not the hug that you would get or the love in the physical form, but there's something really comforting mm-hmm. around feeling that support and that love that that doesn't stop when we leave a physical body. Oh, it's so huge. I mean, and song, you know, the songs that will play at just the right time. You know, I was in a grocery store after he died and the song You're So Far Away came on, you know, and I just burst into tears and I left my groceries and I walked out. Um, and, we, you know, and we can ask for signs, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we can ask for signs. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think signs can show up in so many different ways. I think it's just, and I think, you know, we have, I mean, obviously, I mean, we have to believe, right, and in, in that the soul lives on in order to be open to right. signs, you know, because not everybody, not everybody believes. And, you know, that's fine. We're, you know, we all have our own beliefs. But, you know, I think that if you do believe when a sign show, when a sign shows up, you almost feel mm-hmm. it. You know, because it because it's because it strikes you and, and you know, in a like like you when you know, smelling your smelling your grandmother's perfume or watching the way she put the coins back in her pocketbook, like, you know, it resonated mm-hmm. with you and it reminded you of your grandma. Mm-hmm. So I think that that happens too, you know, where you just get this feeling that you're not right. alone, you know. So the book is called Rock On, Mining for Joy in the Deep River of Sibling Grief. And people can find you at your website, is there, which is SusanEKC.com. Yep. And where else? Instagram, Facebook, any of those places? Yeah, I'm on those. Um, and, and the book is for sale on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. I mean, you can get it anywhere. And I am in the midst. I don't know when it will be ready, but I, I just do want to put this out there that I am in the midst of creating an eight-week online course for siblings going through grief as mm-hmm. well. Um, I'm not sure when that will be available, but that's on my website. And as I'm well. sure if you have a newsletter or anything, people can sign up and then. Yeah. And they, and they can reach me, right? Because my contact information is on there. Um, my email is miningforjoy at iCloud.com and reach out. Perfect. And all of that will be, will be in my show notes as well. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much, Amy. Take <laughs> have care. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.